Good morning. If you didn't catch it from the video, I'm Pastor Bear. I'm one of the staff here at Tomball Bible. Skeet is off this morning, and uh, it is our tradition here that he preaches about 65% of the time, and the other uh, percentage is taken up by a couple of our elders and teachers and uh, other staff folks. So um, I am your man this morning, and uh, as we get started this morning, we're going to open our Bibles um, in a minute, but I'm going to ask Marshall Quigley, would you just ask God's blessing on our uh, time in his word this morning. Thanks, Marshall. Um, If you were here with us last week, you uh, saw that at the end of our service, a number of people uh, followed Jesus' example and his instruction and were baptized. And as we said in the announcements, if that is something that you have not done, have questions about, or are wanting now to follow God's direction in baptism, please get a hold of us. Um, but before we baptize anyone, we always sit down and have a little talk with them. And being the children's pastor, I usually get to sit down with all the kids and their parents and, and talk about, uh, you know, what baptism really means. What is this whole, this whole thing? Is it more than just getting wet? You know, what, what is this whole baptism thing all about? And in those conversations, I always like to ask them the question of, are you, are you really depending on or what are you depending on to, to get into heaven someday? Um, so if you were standing before Jesus Christ in heaven this morning, he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your, what would your answer be? Now, the great thing is that most of our kids have come through what we're doing here at Tomball Bible, and they have a good answer to that question. They know that it is the, the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed when he died on the cross that is the forgiveness of their sins. And that's what they're counting on for for their, if you will, ticket into heaven someday. And that's a neat thing to look around and say so many of our kids are, are so well, well taught in all that. But unfortunately, if you walked into most evangelical churches this morning, and if you randomly picked out ten people from the crowd in that church and had them stand up in front of the, the church body and say, said to them, and they answered truthfully, said, do you believe that heaven is a real place? If you do step forward, only seven out of those ten would step forward. And then if you ask those, those same folks, well, do you believe then in hell, two more of those people would step backwards. Only five out of ten people in evangelical churches today believe in heaven and hell. And that's kind of, kind of scary to me. Um, it, it's this, this kind of awkward man-made theology that we're working with these days. And it, it gets us to, to those, those answers that, that would also occur if you walked into that same church and said, what are you depending on um, if you were standing in, in front of Jesus this morning and said, why should I let you into heaven? Here's some of the answers that you would hear. And we know this because people poll this kind of data all the time. And it's kind of scary. Some of the answers you would hear in your average evangelical church in America today is, I go to church. 
When the offering plate comes by, I put money in. I've been baptized. Or this is, if they're giving you the long answer, it's more along the lines usually of, I hope that I've done more good than bad in my life. So when I'm standing before Jesus and he has those scales out, the good things I've done will outweigh the bad things I've done. Or, I know a lot of people. And compared to most of the people I know, I'm a better person than they are. So I know that God will look at me and if he kind of grades on the curve, I'm getting in. Or, I've done things in Jesus' name. I have done things with the church and for the church and, you know, around the church. And so when God looks at me, he's going to look at me with favor. And that's how I'm going to get into heaven someday. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with going to church or giving or being baptized, doing things around church or trying to act um, and in a way that makes us different than the world. Those are not... What, that's not what I'm saying this morning. All those things are great, and that's what we should be doing as believers. But that is not what God looks at and says is the criteria for you getting into heaven. So if you stand before Jesus and you say any one of those things, I'm afraid that he's going to shake his head and say, this is not where you belong. People have hope that the best will come. People have even more hope that maybe God in his loving way will not put the worst on us and send people to hell. But that's not what the Bible says. For the last seven weeks, so this is week number eight, we've been talking about the true story. And we've talked about all kinds of things that the Bible talks about that are true, that this world and even other churches today may or may not agree with. And this morning we're going to talk about true hope. But when we're talking about hope this morning, I want to to differentiate between hope and hoping. Between hope and just being hopeful. Because, see, hope is both a verb and a noun. I looked it up because it's been a long time since English. And, and when we talk about hope as the verb, it's, it's something that we might expect for some reason in the future. We might expect it, and it might come true, and it might not come true. Like, I hope I win the lottery. I hope that that policeman looks on me with favor and doesn't write me a ticket, even though I was going 40 in the school zone. You know, there's all kinds of things we hope for every day. That we're hopeful will come true or won't come true or will happen or won't happen, and that's not what we want to talk about this morning. It's not the verb hope that I want to talk about. Instead, it's, it's the noun hope. When we talk about hope being a noun, it's, it's really the promise that we look forward to. And when the Bible talks about hope, it's a promise that we look forward to, not because of anything that we can control, but it's a promise that is granted by Almighty God. The Bible talks about covenants. And covenants are things that we can make between ourselves as people. We can make between ourselves and businesses. If you have a mortgage, you have some kind of covenant between you and the bank that says that you're going to pay X number of dollars back to the bank every month. And then if you don't, they're going to come and take your house back. 
and things like that. We can make covenants between each other as people. But when the Bible talks about covenants, more times than not, it's talking about a royal covenant. And it's talking about a royal promise that says, we have nothing that we can give God that's of any worth to him. But even though that's the case, he is going to grant us something that we can't get on our own. And when I talk about this hope this morning, that's what I'm talking about. This is something that you cannot earn on your own. This is not something that you can achieve on your own. Going to church, putting money in the offering plate, serving, teaching Sunday school, any of those other things have nothing to do with this hope. This hope is something that is granted to you by God Almighty, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. In 1834, a man named Edward Mote wrote a poem. He wrote a poem as he was considering a good friend of his who was dying. And this friend was, she was a lady, and she had taught him a lot about, in in her struggle with illness, about this whole thing of hope and the hope that lay in front of her. Because of that, she didn't fear death. That poem was later taken, and it was adapted into a hymn, and that hymn is now something that we've adapted in this day into a a worship chorus song um, that, that we sing here. But the words of that poem, the words of that hymn go like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And for years, I kind of, you know, I've known that hymn. It's a, it's a great hymn. It's something I grew up singing, and, and now we've, you know, kind of adapted it, and it's a little more modern. It's great. The words are still, you know, true. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, what has been my understanding of that throughout the years? And, and my true understanding before I really started thinking about this was that I was just a hopeful person. I know that God loves me, and so therefore I'm hopeful. But that's not what that song really says. That's not what that poem really said. This poem was written as a man looked at a woman who was dying of a terminal disease, and he, said, and he learned from her life this. Her hope was built on the blood of Jesus Christ. And her hope was built on righteousness, but not her righteousness. It didn't matter what kind of a person she was. The righteousness that she was counting on was Jesus' righteousness. So as I read it again, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Jesus' blood and Jesus' righteousness. And that's the hope that we have today sitting here if we are believers. But, you know, sometimes, and Evan and I have have talked about this, and this conversation went around the office a little bit this week. Um, You know, sometimes hymn writers or poets take a little bit of poetic license, and they use words that may or may not, um, you know, always mean the same things to us. And and even in that song, there's a line that, that somebody in the office had a little bit of a problem with understanding. It wasn't that it was wrong, just it's a little odd. So I'm going to give you the simpler version And in all cases in church, go back to first grade Sunday school. Because that's where the best theology comes from most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. Okay, some of the time. Let me throw this great hymn of the faith at you. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. 
And you know what? That sums up the gospel pretty well. Jesus loves me so much, he died on the cross for my sins. There's nothing that I can do to win God's favor, because you know what? I'm a little one. I'm weak. But God is strong. God is strong enough to pay the price for my sins by sacrificing his own son. And that's, in a nutshell, what this hope is. And it's interesting, in the book of 1 John that we've been studying for the last eight weeks, the term little ones keeps showing up. As a matter of fact, it shows up in there seven times in the book of 1 John, if my counting is correct. As little ones, we're weak. And so the hope that we can generate is small. But as little ones, we can be dependent on God. The book of Isaiah talks about how God loves us and he he picks us up and carries us like, like a shepherd carries a little lamb who can't walk on its own yet. We are little ones, we're weak, but he is strong, strong enough to handle whatever comes our way and strong enough to guarantee us a place in heaven. A place in heaven that is, that is beyond what we can ever think or imagine, the Bible says. So whatever your vision of heaven is, realize how puny and small it is, and it is a small vision as a little kid has vision of the world. No matter what you think, it's so much grander and so much greater. And that is the hope that I want to talk to you about this morning, of this incredible place that God has granted to us if we just believe in him. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The words are going to appear up on the screen. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you're with us this morning, you don't have a Bible with you, there is a paperback one under the end of each of the rows. And if you don't have a Bible that's readable for you to have at home, please feel free to take one with you this morning as our gift to you. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, says this. This is Paul speaking, and he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may grieve as others who, who have no hope. So Paul is talking about, about believers who have passed away. And Paul says, I do not want you to grieve as those who, who don't understand who God is and and." They see these people and they have no hope. Verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's a great passage. It's a passage that, that frequently we, we preach at, at funerals um, to give a hopefulness as we talk about the hope that believers have. And Paul says this, 
I do not want you to be uninformed, because those of you who are uninformed have no hope. And when we have no hope, death brings grief. So it's sort of a a math problem. If you are uninformed, you have no hope. If you have no hope, you will grieve when someone passes away. Because you have no thought of what is to come. But he goes on to say, to those of us who are in Christ, that means that we have asked Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, not all of mankind, but those of us who have asked Jesus Christ to be our Savior, he said, we will always be with the Lord. We have assurance of salvation. And what we need to do to get that assurance of salvation is, he says, we need to believe that Jesus died and rose again. And when we believe that and when we know the hope of heaven that lies in front of us, therefore we can encourage other people with those same words. Because God has taken care of this. God has paid the price for the sins that we have committed. And because of that, we have hope. And because of that, we should be sharing that hope. Because it's not up to me, it's not up to you, it's up to God, because he has paid the price. But if we keep that to ourselves, then we are cheating those that God has placed around us. One of the things that, we, that the youth group kids talk about all the time is that we are to know, live, and share. Share because you can't contain it. Did I get that right, Sean? Okay. Share because we can't contain it. If you have this great promise of this hope that Jesus Christ has paid the price and that you have heaven secure, why would you not be sharing that with other people around you? If you're not, you're cheating those that God has placed around you. It's a lesson that I learned when I was just a little kid. Thursday of this last week, Um, was an anniversary in my life. It was exactly one year ago, Thursday, that my mom passed away. My mom was a great woman of God. She was one of the people that taught me more about what a relationship with God is about than probably anybody else that's ever come in my life. Um, Mom knew hope. She knew the hope of heaven. As a matter of fact, for about the last three years of her life, every time I talked to my mother, every time I saw my mom... Her, her deal was always the same. She always said, I cannot wait to get to heaven. As a matter of fact, I wish God would tell me what he still has for me to do here because I would do it right now no matter what it was so that I could get to heaven to be with him. She had this incredible hope that lay in front of her. She knew that even in her wildest dreams, what lay in front of her was so much greater and grander and more special than she could ever hope or you know, dream or imagine. And as I think back on, on the life that my mom led, she, she could not wait to share that with other people. She could not wait to take that and and offer the hope that she had to everyone that came into her path. As as kids, we had navigators groups that met in our house a couple times a week, every week. One group was with a, a bunch of Muslim ladies from Africa that were here in the country as international students. And and mom said, sure, I'll be happy to help you with English as long as you let me share from the Bible. And they were like, great, okay, come on. 
And she was ready to share that hope that lay within her. Because she knew that that was the most important thing that anyone would ever hear. She couldn't wait to get there and see it with her own eyes. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we can read these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. So my question for you this morning is this. this the Bible talks about this, this promise, this hope that, that lays in front of us, and it's something that doesn't fade, only gets better, doesn't perish, that we're not affecting because God has already granted it to us. So my question this morning is, do you have that hope? If I stood you up in front of everybody this morning and said, if you're standing in front of Jesus Christ this morning, he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Do you know the promise that you're looking forward to? And more importantly, are you longing for that? Because if we really understand the hope of heaven, it is something that we will be longing for each day. And hopefully that hope is encouraging. For the last, for this whole series, we've been going through the book of 1 John. Although it's a small book, it, we're on eight weeks of it, and we probably could have gone for another 10 or 12 with other things that, that we haven't stressed quite as much. But John talks about the words of hope that we're to encourage others with. So if you will, turn over to 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 9. First John 5, 9 says this. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe has made God a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Look next, especially at these next two verses. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I've written these things that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's hope. It's this hope that lies in front of us. And that hope is assured heaven. And in verses 11 and 12, let me read that again. This is the testimony that God has gave us eternal, that God gave us eternal life and that life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. It's a great message, but it's more than kind of a, a slick marketing sales pitch. Go back to verse 9. We receive the testimony of men. See, all of us at some point in times in our lives have heard somebody explain this to us if we are a believer. We've heard somebody lay out for us the fact that Jesus loves us, this I know, because the Bible tells me so, and that because of that we can have eternal life. We've had somebody explain that to us. 
But it's not just a sales pitch. It's something that we should be eagerly sharing because it's something that we possess. And it's not something we should just try and convince folks. It's something that we should be exhibiting for people so that they understand how excited we are about what lies ahead. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard, never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, it's this, it's this whole thing that, that we have something and it's something precious. And that something that we have that is precious and that is eternal is something that we need to get out and to share with other people. If you're a believer this morning, you probably remember someone who finally explained this whole thing of salvation to you and it made sense. I remember to this day Don Voss, who was the guy that I knelt by my bunk at camp and prayed with to receive Jesus Christ. As Don clearly helped me to understand that whole thing. See, see, this hope is God's, is God's promise, and that promise is something that we should share, and if we don't carry it off to other people, then who will? If you have this hope in you and you're excited about it, it is something that you should be doing something with instead of sitting on it. The Bible talks about taking our light and hiding it under a bushel or, or being, you know, being salt and light in the world, and if we don't use this hope that God has given us, then we're wasting it. So back to our passage in John. This hope is God's promise. Look at verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's very simple, guys. Jesus Christ paid the price for all the wrong things that we have done, for all of mankind, and it's up to us to accept that or reject it. And every one of us does that. We either accept it or we reject it. It's just that simple. If we accept it, we should have this hope. If we reject it, we have no hope. That's what Paul says. But when we understand this, we don't have to wonder anymore. When we understand that God has paid the price for our sins, that then we don't have to wonder anymore, is God going to grade on a curve someday? Is he weighing my good and bad on the scales? Um, is he marking my church checklist every week as I go and I you know, do and stuff for him? And, and I would be remiss. I know that a lot of you are sitting here this morning and you're saying, this is, this is fairly elementary stuff. We hear this all the time. I've known this for a long time. I've heard this all my life. I want to share another story or two with you, if I could. I've said before up here that, that Dwight Moody was one of my heroes, a guy that I, you know, love to read about and, and learn about. In, in eight, he lived in the late 1800s. And in 1871, 
Dwight Moody was was preaching to a bunch of people, and he was holding a crusade in Chicago, and every every night this great crowd of people came, and he shared with them the good news of, of Jesus Christ, and that Christ died on the cross for their sins, and that if they asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior, that, that they too could have this assurance of hope someday. And one night in, in 1871, he gave this impassioned uh, proclamation to this gathered crowd of people. And after the, the meeting that night, a lady came up to him and said, Oh, Mr. Moody, you know, I so greatly enjoyed hearing what you had to say. And he said, It was very simple. It's just what the Bible says about God's love for us and about God's redemption through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And she said, I would love to know more about that. And and he said, how about we get together tomorrow? I will come by your house if you'll give me your address, and I'll share more with you about that. Unfortunately, that night, the great Chicago fire happened, and tens of thousands of people lost their lives. A good majority of the city was burned up in one night. Actually, the fire went on for a couple of days before they were able to extinguish it. And the next morning, Mr. Moody got up, and he had the address of the lady that he had talked to the night before. He was going to meet her for tea that morning, and he went to that address, and there was nothing left. And he found out that that night that lady had perished in that fire, along with countless other people. And he made a promise to himself that night that he would never again share the good news of Jesus Christ and his redemptive plan for all of humanity without asking people at that point in time, have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? And I would be remiss this morning if I would stand up here and tell you about this great hope and tell you that all of your hope of heaven has been paid for by Jesus Christ shed blood on the cross and not say, if you're sitting here this morning, have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Because I have a feeling in a crowd this size there are some here this morning who have not. And I know that because that was me. I grew up in a great home. I told you my mom had people at our house all the time sharing Jesus Christ with them. And I sat there. I was the youngest kid in my family. My mom was a school teacher. And so when I went to school, she went back to teaching. And when I was a little kid, I was around her all the time. And I listened to her teach the Bible to all kinds of people, and myself included. And then when I was, when I was nine years old, my parents sent me off to summer camp. They used to send us all to summer camp. I don't know what they did for that two weeks, but I bet it was good. And I'm sitting at summer camp, and it's a Wednesday night, and the speaker is sitting there or is up on, in front talking to this gathered crowd of 9- and 10-year-old boys and girls, and he said this. He said, I know a lot of you come from homes where you have heard God's Word, maybe daily. And I know a lot of you come from places where if I said, you know, complete the, the sentence of, of the great Bible stories, Daniel and the you'd know lion's den, and Noah and the ark, and you would know Jonah and the whale, and you would know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins because you've heard it and you've listened to it and you've learned it. And that's good. Have you ever made it your own? And I thought, just like the story of that lady who had questions, I'm so glad that on that night, that speaker, standing in front of this group of, you know, dirty, smelly kids, looked down and said, I know a lot of you fall into this category that you've heard it and you know it, but you've never received it as your own. If that's you, 
get with your counselor tonight. And I got with my counselor that night, and I kneeled by my bunk with Don Boss, and we prayed, and I received Jesus Christ that night. Interestingly enough, it was at Moody Youth Camp, named after Dwight Moody. And so I would be remiss this morning if I stood up here and I said, you've heard all this this morning. I have told you that, that God has this hope laying in front of you, and it's beyond what you could ever imagine, and that the price for you receiving that hope has already been paid. And I didn't say, have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Have you accepted his free gift of salvation that he offers today? I will tell you this, if you have not, it is very simple. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all we need do is accept his gift of salvation today. You need do nothing else today except pray and say, God, I want to be a child of yours. I want to experience that hope. I want to have that hope lying in front of me. I accept your gift of salvation this morning. And for some of you, you may have been sitting in these very chairs for the last 30 years and never done that. And that's okay, because today can be your day. Like that Wednesday night in 1969 was for me. It's all right. Just don't let this day pass without dealing with it. Probably my favorite part of this passage in First John is the last two verses. So let's turn quickly and look at, at the last two verses where he closes out this book of First John. And it says this, verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Well, there's a goofy way to end a book. No see ya, no nice knowing ya, keep yourself from idols, really? Well, I think it's important that we understand why that is there. Because so many of us as Christians do this. Just as before we were depending on, on our good works and we were depending on how we compared to other people and we were depending on what we could do to try and earn God's favor, a lot of times we become believers and we accept God's free gift of, of salvation through Jesus Christ and we fall back into a same kind of thing. And we say, okay, so I have Jesus Christ and oh, by the way, I'm also going to church every Sunday. And you know what? Because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm kind of up in my giving a little bit. And, and because of that, I think maybe I could serve someplace in church. And, and we get this kind of weird hybrid of, of God paid the price through the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm also trying to earn my way into heaven at the same time. And those things that, that we say that we are doing to still try and earn God's favor are what the Bible calls idols. Anything we put on the same plane as God is an idol. So if we say, Jesus Christ's blood paid the price for my sins and also I'm earning my way into heaven because I'm a great prayer warrior. We've missed the point a little bit too. So I'm saying to you this morning that, that salvation is simple. Jesus came and died for your sins, and if you accept the free gift, you will be saved. Does that mean we shouldn't do other things? No. 
But know that your hope is not based on what you are doing. Your hope is based on what Jesus has done. It's the free gift. I want to give you phrases out of three verses as we finish up this morning. They're not on the screen, so just listen. Psalm 46 tells us that we are to cease striving and know that I am God. Colossians chapter 1 says that we have a hope that is laid up for us in heaven. And 2 Corinthians 1 says, Our hope we have is, or on him we have set our hope, and he will deliver us. Cease striving. Jesus already paid the price. You have a hope laid up for you in heaven that is way beyond what you could ever think that you would be able to achieve on your own. And he's going to deliver you if you have asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior this morning. So this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, that life is in his Son, and whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And if we have that life, we have this hope. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would love to speak to you after the service this morning. Maybe one or two of our elders could be here to do the same as well. We do not want anybody to leave confused about this in any way, shape, or form today. This can be your day of salvation as well. If you have been saved, cease striving and know that he is God. Serve him, not to earn your way, but as a reflection of the incredible gift of love that he has already given you. Let's close our time here in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a chance to come before you this morning to open your word and to learn of the incredible hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And Lord God, I thank you for the truth of your word that abounds in so many different areas, Lord. And I pray today, Father God, if there is anyone here this morning who has heard your word, who has understood your word before, but has never asked you to be their Savior, that this would be the day of salvation for them. I pray, Father God, today that we would leave this place different than when we came, that, Father, we would be encouraged by your word, that we would look forward to the hope that is in heaven, and, Father God, that we would uh, know that we have that hope because we have Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.